Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yes, an absolute massive name, a legend. Alec McLeish, how are you doing, big man? I'm good, I'm very good, yes. Good, uh, good in London, in the big house. I've got a clear head. <laughs> oh, yeah, I must say, I love, the, I love the couch, I love the picture, I love the decor. Where, where bits in the world are you right now? Um, Southwest London. Oh, lovely. Yeah, nice little, little paint, a Glasgow artist. Who? Gerard Burns. Oh, lovely. Yeah, Gerard Burns. What a man. So what's that, South-West London, Alec? What, is that, what sort of area is that? Is that Chelsea in that? It's uh, no, no Chelsea. It's over the bridge. We're over the bridge from from Chelsea, you know, and yeah, Wandsworth. You heard of Wandsworth? Yeah. Wandsworth Common, you know. So, lovely. Yeah, nice area. A long way from Glasgow. Where did you grow up, Alex? I grew up, I, grew up, um, I was born in Duke Street Hospital in Glasgow. No way. Yeah, 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 and um, we lived in kind of my, my mother, mother and father. They we lived with their in-laws at, at times, you know. Um, my dad's fam, mother and father, and then my mother's mother and father, and then they got their own little pad in Kinnan Park and near Ibrooks. Wow. Uh, and and I only well when I was five, I, I went to school for two or three days before. My family, my dad and I got they got a house in Barhead. Oh. But well, it was a new scheme. It was a brand new scheme. So, so brand new houses, and we were all excited. And um, we we moved to Barhead when I was five. For Barhead, things get worse. You go up to Aberdeen. How did that come about? Well, you know, I, I, I was um, I was playing boys club football, and a few of my pals were getting S forms with. Celtic uh, Rangers, other teams, and I thought, what am I doing wrong? So um, uh, I thought, I'm not going to give up. I was really determined. My dad pushed me really hard. Um, a lot of times nowadays I see kids getting frustrated and being told at the age of 10 and all that, they'll never make it, which um, I think they've always got to say, you know, keep trying. There's, there's, there's always a level for you and you, and you make it better. And, and what happened to me between 15 and 17 is I took an enormous growth spot um, and all of a sudden I was getting offered trials left, right and centre. Uh, none, none from the, the Glasgow Giants, right enough, but uh, certainly Chelsea, I was supposed to be going for a trial and then Aberdeen just came after a cup final. We beat, we beat one of the teams in Paisley Racecourse and Ali McLeod was at the game. He was Aberdeen manager at the time with the, the chief scout. Uh, and they they said, can we come to your house next day? We'd like you to sign apprenticeship forums. So they they asked my mum and dad's permission, and that's what happened. So then that was the start of 18-year career. Wow. 
What would the young Alex McLeish get up to in Aberdeen's? Were you up in Kadona's? Oh, yes, of course. We were great friends with the Kadona's. You know, Willie was yeah, married to, to one of the, the, the girls and, um, and you know, the, the Kadona family were really um, very pleasant to all the, all the players and that always gave the players a little bit of attention when they, they turned up at the, shoot, the fairground. So, you know, right. the Kadona's, you know that very well. Yeah, I know the Kadona's. Uh, uh, Man, I say, what age did Willie get that handlebar? Well, I think he had the handlebar when I, when I arrived, so it must have been before 76. Wow. When I arrived. So, um, Willie nurtured that for a few years, didn't he? You know, that was yeah. uh, Che Guevara Miller. <laughs> no wonder he got a bird with a moustache like that at that age, eh? <laughs> I know, I know, dead trendy, wasn't it? Oh, man. Uh, your playing career was known for the big role, Aberdeen's glory days under Sir Alex Ferguson. Was that team as good as any team in Europe, Alex? Well, we, we took some lessons, you know, we, we had some beatings, you know, in the first three years or so, when, when getting into Europe, I remember, I always remember in a German dressing room, I think it was one of the Eintracht teams and, and uh, Sir Alex, everybody was out of the dressing room, I was last out but him and I seen him walking about with with his head down and really looking frustrated, you know, almost as, as if it was the last game he'd ever have, you know, but... It just shows you showed you the how combative he was and how how much it hurt him to lose because he felt we could do something even that and at that early stage, but it was it was lessons and I, I always kind of remember saying saying come on boss we're going to be better because of this you know and so all of a sudden in the next couple of years we took a, took a hell of a beating from Liverpool in the Champions League and well which was then the European Cup. Uh, they beat us at Tory 1-0, then 4-0 at Anfield. We we hung on for a while at Anfield, and then the, the, the flood came after, with two minutes to go before half-time, they scored twice, and that was us burst, you know. And But again, it was great learning curve, and we had great players in the team, and then Peter Weir came into the team, a, a colleague of mine from Barhead High School, uh, Peter and I played at primary school and at uh, Barhead High School, and Peter was just an exceptional talent. Nowadays, he would be worth an absolute fortune. Um, and Peter came in and and um, made us made us a better team as as well, and culminating in winning the European Cup, Winners' Cup. Were you uh, were you Fergie's favourite, Alec? Um, I, I don't know who was his favourite. I But but the the. You know, the amount of times he shouted at defenders was probably less than, than he did with the creative players. You know, like, uh, Willie was probably five times in my, my whole career there and I'd maybe be maybe eight or nine or something. But he, he, he had to go at the creative ones all the time. You know, the Strackens, the McGee's, the guys who scored the goals and and uh, they, they guys, you know, yeah, back as well because they were a strong characters. It was a really strong dressing room we had, and um, we we worked really well with with Sir Alex in, in in the the end in terms of winning trophies and stuff. And of course, you know, he he famously shouted us down after winning the Scottish Cup, and that was like I think eight days after the the Gothenburg final, when when I think he thought we should we should beat Rangers 
um, in a canter and, and, and put on a great display. The boys were knackered and we got a 1-0, we scraped a 1-0 victory in the Scottish Cup final. But the but, uh, next day, he, he said he realised he'd been too harsh on us, you know, so yeah. he, he, he was a good man manager. I spoke to James McFadden this morning. He said you've got some great Alex Ferguson stories. Have you got a favourite one? <laughs> um, oh God, there's, there's, there's hundreds, you know. The, the, the used, when, in fact, when in the cup final, when after the, the sorry, the European Cup, cup that was, the winner, cup winner's cup, I was in the showers feeling sorry for myself at the end of the game because I'd actually had an assist in the game, but also gave yeah, away the penalty with a, with a pass back that stuck in the water and Jim, the, the, the guy nipped in, took it round Jim late and Jim had to pull him down. Penalty, goal, equaliser and I always remember sneaking in at the, the back of the, the, the teammates, you know, trying to um, avoid Fergie's wrath. But, uh, you know, he shouted, Ali, wouldn't it? Blooming hell, were you thinking? And, you know, it was, it was a few more colourful words than that with that pass back. And, uh, I said, and, I, and I reacted back, you know, probably harder than ever I did before. And, and then uh, Archie Knox came in between us and said, um, we need to, come on, we've got a cup final to win here. And, and uh, so Alex, he, he kind of realised, right, you know, second half. And at the end of the game, I was still delaying my, my uh, come, come back into the, the dressing room kind of thinking what, what, how could I have avoided that you know I always analyse my own performance and, and I was thinking more of that than, than getting into that dressing room and drinking champagne and celebrating with the, the rest of the boys having just won a major European trophy and, and culminating and making is probably that season the best team in Europe when Sir Alex came in to the, the shower area. And I can always remember just looking down as he was talking to me and he says, listen, Proudy, you did really well. Um, a lot of players would have crumbled, dug a hole for themselves. And, and of course, I would, have, I would have had to have taken you off, but you, you stuck to it and you never put a foot wrong in the second half. And, uh, you know, it might have hampered you. It was great mentality. And I, I was just thinking, looking down at the floor, I was watching his shoes were getting deluged by the shower. <laughs> <laughs> they bought me shoes and his, they bought me his trousers were soaking walking back into the dressing room. But no, we we done hundreds of stories and, um, you know, it, 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 a trick, there was a great cricket story at um, um, Gordonston we, where we trained. The royal family, I think, were, were students at Gordonston at one stage or some of them were. And it's up north in Scotland. And he said, we're going to take you to Gordonston for a boot camp. And, and we'll be training really hard morning, afternoon, and, and we'll get some, some off time as well. But we're thinking we're in the middle of nowhere, up, up kind of near Inverness and all that. And they don't see us getting any free time. So he decided next day, he, and him and the games master were very friendly people, friend, very friendly together. He, he came to a lot of our games. And he said to the games master, I want to have a game of cricket tomorrow. Can you, you kick them out and all the weights and stuff, you know, because there was a big cricket pitch there. And he says, you're not training tomorrow, we're playing cricket. And, oh, and then, you know, half of them going like that, cricket, oh, I don't like cricket. But fortunately, a few of us did. You know, sure, Kennedy really loved it. And 
And then at myself, I followed the, the international stuff. And then um, when it came to the, the opening batsman, the two, the two biggest kind of egos in the club had to go f- bat first, and that was Wally and, and the gaffer. Um, and so the first couple of bowls, Stevie Cowan, this guy Stevie Cowan's bowling, bowling against Sir Alex. And he just bats them away. He says, I'm going to be in here all day like Jeffrey Boycott. And um, then Stevie had, had a kind of curveball and he, he kind of popped it and Stevie caught and bowled him. And, and, and uh, the, the gaffer, he, he stood still, he says, oh, yeah. And, and it's true that ended up throwing the, the, the bat at Stevie yeah. and telling him, you, you start running in that, that cricket pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so we we get we get back in into the, the, the dinner hall and we're we're eating our dinner, everybody's eating and and actually knocks through doing his fork and knife and slammed it and everybody's like, What what's happened? He says, Stevie Cowan's still out there running. That was <laughs> that was about an hour and a half later. <laughs> Stevie comes in. <laughs> I said, Stevie, that was awful. The gaffer forgetting about you there. He says, it was worth every lap. <laughs> if that's me, by the way, I'm dropping that ball and I'm leaving him in the, in the, on the bat, 100%. You'd have to be butterfly uh-huh. and just let him, let him bat on. But it was, it was brilliant. Alex, I'm delighted I've got young. So the big question I want to know about Aberdeen in their days is, who used to put the Vaseline on Jim Layton's eyebrows? <laughs> I think I don't know. Um, I didn't really notice that, that that he had a makeup artist. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I thought by some of his performances, he was putting them on with his own gloves. <laughs> well, and some of it would always dripping down below his eyes, but um, it must have been the physio or something like that. I, I can't really remember. I, I don't think he did have administered it himself. You know. Yeah. But, I need to ask you as well. Gordon Strack was my manager at Celtic. And he could be so sharp at 50-odd back then when he was a manager. I just want to know what he was like as a young guy. How, how quick were his replies and would you give them to Ferguson as well? Um, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not so much to the boss, but he was brilliant. Uh, he really, really funny in the dressing room, Gordon. Um, they, they say sarcasm is a, the lowest form of, of wit, but the highest form of intelligence. And and that's true. Gordon was a very is a very intelligent man, and but some of his um, quick lines were were tremendous. You know, he he, he did plagiarise a few. He did uh, copy some people. Martin Buchan's famous one. The the um, what was it? The uh, give me a something to do with fast. And he said velocity. Yeah. But I think Martin Buchan famously said that to Ron Atkinson. So the wee man nicked that one there, but there's nothing wrong with that. He, he's, <laughs> he made up a lot of them himself, and he and he's he's a bit of a legend in in terms of his um, banter, and also obviously he was a, a fantastic footballer and manager. Because what is it he says? He says that you and him used to fight for the spot cream. I've heard him saying that before. <laughs> I probably yeah. Yeah, I uh, remember the days when we were young boys growing up with, with acne and problems and stuff, you know, and um, we, we always had a, had a wee tub of um, whatever at that time particular that helped us to improve our, our lovely skin. And now you're looking tremendous, mate. Uh, I need to ask you as well, Neil Cooper, how much a character was he? How funny could he be? 
he, he was just sentin' on, and uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people that when I first introduced them to Neil, you know, maybe we met somebody in Glasgow for the first time, or we were out, you know, for food and and, and a glass of wine with the girls up up in Aberdeen. Then people would kind of say to me, "I'm not sure about him. He seems a, a, a jagged lad and all that stuff, you know." And and uh, you know, a bit too too happy, laughing all the time. And it's just because he loves life, the big fella. He's he's a tremendous character. And come and say hello to him. And, and then they, they, at the end of the conversation, they walked away saying, "He is a brilliant guy." Yeah. You know, everybody had that impression of Big Neil and. Um, and at first, first sight, and you know what, what they see his, his antics a wee bit, you know. But they, they realised he was just, and it was like that since the day I, I walked in. Told you, I think he was about fourteen when I arrived. I, I was seventeen or something. Might have been um, a bigger difference. Can't remember exactly ages. But Neil, um, Neil was was in the car park across from Petardry Ash Park. And there was a there was football tennis net set up, and he was playing. You know, young guys. He's, he's really honed. He's he's lovely build and blood, beautiful blonde hair, and and uh, he's he's competing with all these older guys. You know, was and then somebody I said, "Who's the other ones?" He says, first team players and stuff." You know, he says that that kid's only fourteen. He said, we, "We think he's going to be a superstar." And looking at Neil, he's giving it the, the close control and getting it back over or scrambling for a for one that you would think he'll never get that. And I'm going, what? That boy looks like an absolute superstar. And of course, the curly hair, handsome boy and that. And, and um, you know, young Neil came on to be more of a, a midfield kind of enforcer, you know, but also... With, with the driving skills and uh, getting forward and scoring goals. He, but, he, you know, I think his goal was to be like a, a Franz Beckenbauer sweeper and, every, and there was a lot of people kind of tipped him for that kind of superstardom. But the problem was that we, we had a brilliant partnership, Willie Miller and myself, and then sometimes when when Willie wasn't playing or I wasn't playing, the two Neil would pair up with either of us, yeah. and, and Sir Alec, and we, we never really lost any momentum. But a super guy, and uh, sad to lose him you know, a few, just a few years ago there. And he was the youngest of the Gothenburg group, but you know, you know, just a, an amazing character. Would he wind fair gear? <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't think he would do it deliberately. I think it was just his, his kind of. Um, happy-go-lucky manner, you know, like him and Big Brian Gunn did the old um, lemon in the hair or something, and they ended up like blondies, you know. And I mean, and it would, you know, Sir Alex was like a father to all the boys, you know. And it was, uh, what are you doing with that hair? You know, it was, it wasn't, so it wasn't like um, you, you, you know, you need to improve on your left foot or you need. To <laughs> What are you doing with that hair? What are you wearing these socks for? You know, and <laughs> um, and they two kind of Brian Gunn and, and Big Big Ben, um, they, they kind of 
rubbed the, the gaffer up the wrong way sometimes, you know. And him and Archie were, were obviously a, a team and they they would uh, frequently be chasing them down the, down the corridor with baseball. But, you know, in a <laughs> friendly term, they wouldn't actually happen with it, but... Archie was my Archie was my Scotland under nineteen manager as well. What a guy! Team between him, him and Ferguson. How can you remember like one incident where the both of them were just ruthless? Um, they 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 were absolutely ruthless when they played a game called Tips in the in the gym. Right, in this gym, and it was a it was a wee tight, it was a wee square thing, and it had four pillars you know, coming down from the ceiling into the floor. So you had to kind of play around, around about them and they had foam padding around about it so none of the players would crash into them. So it was used as um, a weights room at times, but we used it for this game called Tips where you only had like one touch. And you had, there was four corners and so there was started off with four participants and you, you get three lives. <laughs> and so sometimes... There were setups, and you know, you you would you take your one touch and pass it square, so somebody could just slam it and some get them out of the game, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it would not was really ruthless and cutthroat, and but but it was it was an absolute. Everybody was so desperate to play it every time, every day after training. But the two main contestants were Archie and Sir Alec, <laughs> and they just went in and did the head to heads. And every Friday when they did that, they were looking for some of the young boys. At a certain moment after lunch, the young boys all scattered because they didn't want to be the referee of Archie and his tips game. And you, you could, you, you would actually have, I've never seen them run faster. You know, they didn't even do that in the pitch. And he, they're all scattering everywhere and and Noxie would be going down the, the, the corridor shouting on Cooper or one of the, the other young boys' names. Well, get, get out of here now. I want you within five minutes or you're no playing on Saturday. And it was stuff like that. And ended up with, with one of the young apprentice boys and stuff who so scared stiff to give a decision against either or the other. Um, and as they went in and and they, and they got the warning and, they, and that log hole for Sir Alex and that log hole for Archie um, when, when, they, were, they, when they, they didn't see each other, you know, when they weren't together. So they yeah. were doing it in secret saying, you better be a good referee today. <laughs> and, that bit, and, and Sir Alex would say the same thing. You, you better be a good referee or you'll never make it at this club. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> It was obviously tongue-in-cheek stuff, and uh, but those battles between Archie and, and Sir Alex and that tips game in that wee gym were legendary. The two of them came out cussing and swearing. If one, one lost, obviously there was cussing and swearing, and, was, and the two of them would, had sweat. sweating all over in and, um, and, and what was big epic games. Two winners. Uh, talking about big epic games, Alec, Real Madrid in the final, 1983. How was the nerves going into that game and, and how did Fergie make you feel that you could compete with these sort of teams? We went two nights before um, to Sweden and uh, we had a quiz night, the, you know, the first night or something like that or it may have been the night before the game. And 
Sir Alex was the quiz master, and he, he always had the um, wee tricky ones in there, you know. And it, what was the team with the longest name in, in Scotland? And you know, somebody comes out with Hamilton Academicals. I've got it. No, Hamilton Academical. That's absolute rubbish, you know. So, so um, and then you realise, uh, you know, quiz shows work to the the very fine detail that um, he implicated that night. But it took the edge, you know, off off as everybody was was getting um, cabin fever a wee bit. Normally, we'd just stay for one night before. But it, they, they, they got us relaxed. Um, I had a wee bit of a sore back. We, I was getting treatment before the cup final, two weeks before I got an injury against um, Hibs, I think. And no, it was that, that was another, that was my knee injury. But I had a back injury, that's, that's what I was doing. I was picking up paving stones for my back garden instead of rolling them. You know, somebody said to me, you're supposed to roll them, you're a buffoon, you know. And, I ended up with, with, with a stiffness in my back and rolling down it. Our physio was was um, working on the clock, trying to get me ready for this. And, and the night before the Gothenburg game, I had to put my, my mattress on the floor uh, because I just couldn't sleep in the, in the bed. And you know, it had to be a, a, something really rigid below the mattress. Uh, and, you know, I did got the injections in, in my back before the game. and. Unfortunately, everything worked out well, but I'd been struggling it for about two weeks with it, and, and that was just a wee aside story. Uh, but he did, he did um, him and Archie did their, their level best to keep us all grounded. Um, we, we had pretty, you know, quite a lot of confidence after being by Munich in the, the quarterfinals and then disposing of the Belgians in the semi final. And to, to be against Real Madrid, obviously another massive name. Can we do it? We did it once to Bayern Munich. A lot of people doubted they'll not be able to do it twice. Um, but, you know, Sir Alex played the, 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 the ace cards and things. You know, he got the early introduction. He's our manager. Uh, and he, he handed over the bottle of whiskey. Uh, and you know the guy I think was taken aback and he um, you know he, he, he kind of thought oh well you know I'm, I'm not going to be as animalistic in the, in the press as, as I was going to be you know maybe it just calmed him down a wee bit amazing so, so yeah we went into the game and it was bucketing down the whole day and it was um, you know absolutely we thought we, we were worried that it may be called off because those puddles, and, and that's when we were doing the warm-up and I always went out longer for my warm-up. I like to get good stretching, and it was way before the, the, the days when everybody gets out together, uh, as you do now. Um, and I was kicking the ball, a couple of balls, and noticed they were sticking, they were, and, I, and I said to the players in the dressing room, guys, we need to kind of give it a little chip, uh, you know, for it to find its target. Because um, it's, it's sticking everywhere. You need, you know, if you, the harder you kick it, the, the more that it will stick in the, the grass. And so I was a victim of, of my own um, uh, 
you know, guidance to the guys when I had a pass fight in the game. And normally, 99 times out of 100, it would have been an easy pick-up for Jim Leighton. Um, but obviously this one, and it's just instinctive. You know, you don't think, the, with you don't get the time to think within a split second. Oh, my brain process a, a, a better chip at Unless you've been practicing that that for maybe a week or something, <clears throat> and so uh, it stuck in the water, penalty, and um, that was the equaliser after I nodded one on for Eric Black to score the opener. So half time we, we we had the wee kind of set to, then everybody calmed down. Second half, we, you know, when I look back in the game, we we absolutely battered Real Madrid. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, a great performance. And to think a small provincial club uh, would would be able to go and do that to a European giant, it's not going to... I don't think I'll ever see it again. Yeah. Were you not worried when you're telling everyone to chip the ball that would go over Gordon Stratton's head all the time? <laughs> yeah, well, when the one, uh, he was... In the puddle, he was even smaller than he normally would be. What a team. Uh, just last bit on Aberdeen, did Fergie never take, attempt to take you to Man United? He did. Um, it, there, there was a, an agreement when he left that he, he wouldn't come back for me or Wally. Uh, um, I don't know if Jim Leighton was, was, was involved in that, that agreement. But I never knew about the agreement. I don't think I'd, Wally or myself would have been too happy with that. No. Um, and then... Uh, Sir Alex, he, he said he called me one night and he says, "All bets are off. Um, I'm going to come for you." Uh, the they went for Joe Joe Miller. Joe Miller was at Celtic at the time. Um, yeah. Sorry, was at Aberdeen at the time. And yeah, Sir Alex said, "If ever we Joe's up for grabs, give me a shout because you liked him, you know." And and, and at that time, yeah. uh, you know, it might have worked. Uh, for, for Joe to go to Man United but um, Celtic came in with a hard offer for Aberdeen to Aberdeen and the Dons just signed him to Celtic without you know giving a nod to Alec Ferguson and he says all bets are off I'm going to come for you I'm going to make a bid um, and so when he see Porterfield the manager and uh, he says well look you know I, I think it'd be great for you and your family Said, but I don't want to lose you, and but it's not to me; it's up to the directors. And they put the, they kept doing the asking price, um, moving up a wee bit. And, and I don't know, I'd have been, I might have been twenty eight, twenty nine then, and so obviously getting a wee bit towards the end. And I think it were up to one and three quarter million. And wow, and and that at that time was was quite a lot. Nowadays. You know, that's yeah, I'm worth uh, 1.3 million nowadays. Uh-huh. That's you signing the Diddy, isn't it? One yeah, point. me, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and he came back and says, Alec, look, I just I just kind of do it. So he obviously had other targets, um, as well that he was thinking about, but obviously I would have cost maybe a wee bit less. But yeah. two weeks later, he bought um, um, Gary Pallister for two million from Middlesbrough, and the rest is history. So, um I, I, I missed my chance. And in those days, listen, I, you know, I, I don't, 
I, I kind of turn back and say, going rewind the clock and say, I, I regret no no going, you know. But I always wonder. There was yeah. there was opportunities at the end of my contract to go to Spurs and things like that. But the, these um, in those days, you, you, even when your contract was finished, you couldn't walk out. There, there was still a fee attached to you. Uh, clubs still had a hold, and they still had had um, the, the ability to to recoup some some money and, and put a big uh, fee on your head. So so it was different days from the what were the the Bosman era that we uh, came into as well. Yeah. Uh, just lastly, Alec, you won three league titles, five Scottish cups, two league cups, and a European cup. Was that winning mentality something that? Was that the main thing that you took into management from Aberdeen? Yeah, and, and, and you know, you don't want to... Everybody would love to be Alec Ferguson, but you, you don't want to copy your, your manager. If you copy him to, to perfection, then yes. Yeah. But because when I, I got my first job at Mullerwell, um as player manager, and then I, after five games, undefeated, I must say, uh, I decided not to be the uh, be, be player manager anymore. I, I just went in the dugout. John Philbin was around then, and he he was playing extremely well. And I thought I'm keeping this guy out of the team, so he should be in it. He's younger than me. He's got better legs at, at this stage of my career. And 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 that's what happened. And um, my first few weeks with, with the, the model team, we were training in Austin, um, Holland. We were at one of these these um, great football camps that the, the Dutch seemed to pioneer very early doors. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was, stomach was churning in my wee room myself, thinking I'm going into this, this management straight into it without having the opportunity to maybe work with a, a senior coach and, and kind of learn the ropes I've, I've plunged straight into it but I knew I'd inherited a good bunch of players and I tried to get them playing as, as freely as they could they were third in the Premier League the year before behind Rangers and Celtic and um, we ended up second that season but at that, at that training camp at half time I thought you know players are just looking to get their fitness so you you should never you know never any way you should ever go at them but I thought I wonder if I should do a Fergie on them, you know, half time. And and so I, I went in and I remember Chris McCart saying this to me years later. He says, remember the first time? He says, you come in and, and you, you started ranting at us. We, we were all kind of, um, I thought he's trying to be Alec Ferguson, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when, when I went back in my room actually that day, I, I, I actually said, I didn't feel that, you know. I didn't yeah. and uh, I thought I'll try to copy the boss I'm not going to do it I've just got to do do what, what I feel and and powered the players Tommy Coyne and all these guys I gave them a lot of, a lot of um, respect and freedom and on the pitch and they, the brilliant season ended up second after who, who were the top players in that team Alec? was it Tommy Coyne who had Paul Lambert? Paul Lambert was there you know and and in the coming the season afterward, that's when Bosman came in. Paul left. Rob McKinnon left. Do you remember Rob? Yeah, uh, left right. Yeah, superb. Yeah. We, we had a great um, back five. Uh, you know, when you consider the the wing backs and um, Rob Shannon on the other side. But um, you know, 
they were two fantastic players um, that went away in Bosman. Chris McCart, the centre-half, but Chris's knees were kind of short and he, he, I think that was, that was his last season. Tommy Coyne also was knackered. Tommy, Tommy ended up the, best, the top scorer in Scotland that season, in my first season. With a uh, big, big uh, buff, Brian, um, uh, big, big Brian, the centre-back who was linked with Rangers and Celtic every season. Um, big buff, his nickname was. And then, uh, you know, Mia Drag. Mia Drag Kapopovic, that's right. Uh-huh. I made me a drag as well. We we done a lot of really, really, really good players. Dougie Arnott, we Dougie. Dougie Arnott, yeah. He was a handful. I, you know, I always, always found him a really tough opponent, you know, when, when you consider playing against um, a lot of top players, Romario and Michael Loudrop and we Dougie Arnott. <laughs> <laughs> Dougie Arnott was one of the toughest. Was he, yeah? Well, he just, he just did that. Was he? Just a, you know, we yeah. would kind of run, run under your legs and things like that. You know, yeah. nick the ball by and turn and good on the turn and Tony Cotty type player. But uh, you know, it was a, it was a great bunch of, of players we had. Alec, we had uh, we had Paul Lambert on here. Uh, Steve, do you know the story? And goals, Stevie Woods. Steve. Oh, Steve, he was hopeless, so Stevie Woods. <laughs> Funny, he was hopeless. And he, he needed a good back five of Stevie Woods was in goals. Who you tell him that? <laughs> um, we had Paul Lambert on here do you know the story about him going to Dortmund I think his wife lied to you and told you that he was ill is that right <laughs> yeah hey, listen you know it, it's all is fair in love and war and I think Paul Paul, Paul um, thought I shouted at his wife I think he said in his book that, that um, I shouted at his wife doing a line or something I said oh that's no money <laughs> I would never have done that your wife and then he can apologise for putting it in his book and right. it, it, you know he's, he probably had to do it for effect or something like that uh, but I did phone Paul's wife and I said um, can I get one with Paul as he's in the house um, no, no he's not here at the moment he's out with the kids or something you know okay. I'd already had word that he, he was uh, touring Holland and uh, Germany Paul was, went away I think he trialled with the advocate yeah, that's right. That's right. Who told you that he was away? Can you remember? I can't remember. No. Maybe, maybe a press man or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think Gordon Smith might have been his agent at that time. I'm, I'm pretty close to Gordon. But, you know, even he wouldn't have phoned me on that one. Yeah. Uh, but listen, uh, he, he, for him to go away and... And, and do that then showed a lot of courage um, because there was contracts waiting for him and, and the, you know, there may have been something else with, with two, the two big clubs as well, Rangers and Celtic. And, but it would have been different. I don't know if it would have been different rules. They might have had to still pay money because yeah. just just the first time in Scotland. But he went away, trialled at Eindhoven, was it? PSP? Eindhoven, yeah, that's right. And then... Um, you know, he, he had a successful one with Dortmund and the rest is history and the, and the boys done really well. But he was, he was one, of the, one of our top quality players in the team, you know, with a lot of technical ability. And, and uh, then in Dortmund made him into one of these, which is now pretty prevalent in all the biggest teams, a holding midfielder. Oh, yeah. And, and Celtic used him to that effect as well when, when they, they re-signed him. So he, 
he was um, he was marvellous in that role. But did you think he could play at that sort of level? Were you quite surprised that he went and done so well? Well, I, I could see it because, you know, when it happened, when it, found, when it, when he, he did so well and he stayed in the team so long and we, we kept saying, how's he not at the team yet, you know? And because there's far better technicians in there. And that was the that was actually the crux of it because they turned him into his, his he was far and away one of the best creative players in Scotland. Yeah. But you see the difference between, um, you know, the, the top Scottish creative players and the top German creative players, you know, it was, it was quite a poles apart. Mm. <laughs> and the way they converted him into that player, so, so that was a player who was technically very good. So for him to play that holding role and to learn the defensive aspects of that and to be a limpet to, you know, against Zidane or something like that in the yeah. final, then, um, you know, that added a whole new dimension to his game. And they knew that if he got the ball in a tight situation and he was playing in that defensive midfield um, position, then he was able to handle that. Yeah. It was just that he wasn't, he was one of our most creative players in Motherwell, but he wasn't the most creative player at Dortmund. Mm. But far from it. But he turned into, a, you know, an international class star, superstar. Then you went to Hibs, Alec, and they were relegation rivals, February 1998. How did that move come about? Um, I don't know, Hibs, Hibs, I think, actually, yeah, I think the story was that they, 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 were, they fancied Paul Sturrock. Don't uh, we all fancy Paul Sturrock? I, I think they'd end they'd eventually gone for, or, or this, and initially had gone for uh, Paul. Um, and now if I, if I can think back to the, the chairman and that there, and it was, well, well I think Paul knocked it back and then it, it came for me. Talking about recruitment, you managed to secure some amazing signings. The European Cup winner, Frank Sozi. How did you manage to get Frank Sozi at Hibs? Well, an agent phoned me and um, he always used to say, his first lines were always, I've got a, a cracking player for you. <laughs> and, and, and I says, oh, no, worry, come on. It, you know, you're serious. And when he said the name, Frank Sozi, he said, have you had a player called Frank Sozi? And I said, <laughs> Frank, Frank, he's won the European Cup with... Marseille and he's I've played against him for Scotland against France um, a couple of times and um, I thought you're, you're kidding is he available and he said yeah he could come on a free transfer you just have to pay the wages you know maybe a wee bit more than, than your, your um, top earners are getting and you know we looked at it I looked at it with Rod Petrie and um, Rod was head of Hibs at the time and he, he uh, endorsed it. And I said, this guy's a wonderful footballer. I did start with Frank in midfield, and I could see, it, obviously, the, he was 33 or 32 or something. Might, might have been 32. And I could see that maybe the midfield was, was going to be too... Too quick for him. 
too quick because Celtic were a very a top team. Rangers were a top team at the time, and there, there was a lot of you know other good teams in the league. It was a much stronger league at that time. Yeah, and then I, I came up with a, the Mullable master plan and with the three at the back. And I played Frank as the, the middle man and the three at the back, and he was absolutely top class. He was back. He was Beckenbauer at that time in Scotland. He could he could put a you know a, a ball on a fifty pence piece with a fifty yard pass. That was his his accuracy, two footed, a great change of feet. He still you know in five meters, it was tough for him against guys like Henrik Larsson and. Um, you know people like that but everybody by and large handled everybody the whole season with two good centre-halves beside them and uh, Frank is obviously legendary now in the, the Hibs folklore What kind of guy is he? Growing guy um, and, and it's good timing that you should ask that because um, I'm, back in March there just before lockdown um, uh, my wife and I, we travelled to Provence. Wow, to, love it. To stay with Frank. Um, so we're still Dutch, you know. We, you know, beautiful, uh, lovely family, his wife. And they have a, a nice house in the countryside. And he's, wow. he's still working media. And they, they, they have business as well. And, you know, they're two entrepreneurs as well. And... Uh, we had such a wonderful weekend with, with Frank and all the old memories and uh, he started bringing up games, you know, the, playing against Hearts in New Year and he, he drilled one in from the edge of the box in a, in a well-rehearsed corner. Uh, just just a, a dream of a player, a dream of a man uh, in terms of his personality and his, his friendship, but also and what he was some player. He was some player. Yeah. Amazing, amazing stories. Uh, Latape, need to ask you, your first introduction to managing Russell Latape, how much a challenge was it, one, to stop him from smoking and two, for keeping him at the pubs? <laughs> well, I mean, I've got to give Russell a, a hell of a lot of credit because he, I, I phoned, uh, again, it was an agent, um, said, Russell Lappe, you heard of him, and I says, I know the name, he played in Portugal somewhere, and he was with Bobby Robson, and uh, so I phoned Sir Bobby and asked him about him, he says, beautiful little player, you know, and uh, <laughs> asked my, my Jordi accent. Yeah, I like it, it was decent. Right, and he said, uh, beautiful, but you know, he, 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 um, he likes, you know, to have a bit of fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, say, he says but I think he'll smash it you know in, in Scotland and you know Bobby obviously thinking you know Scotland's you know not as competitive as, as, as England of course he's, he's correct but there are still you know some some big challenges for us to play against Rangers and Celtic and, and the Aberdeens of this world and and, and that, the Edinburgh guys you know they were all top top um, kind of players that run about that time and, and uh, you know we hopefully we can get back to those levels and you know soon there's, there's some signs of some of that happening in, in, in recent times but um, he came and he volunteered to I, I said to him look 
would you play a trial game for us? See, I just, I just want to be, be sure, you know, and you, that you've got the legs. And, you know, you're, I think he was near 29, 30 or something. Mate, I don't know if he, what age he was at the time. So <laughs> we played a friendly up at Breakin, I think it was. Oh. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I was amazed that he said yes. And, yeah, it was pelting the rain. Exactly no, not the Caribbean weather that he was in. <laughs> and this wee guy ploughed through the pitch like, you know, he was dancing above it. Mm. It's almost like he was on a hoverboard above the grass and he was sensational. And, and uh, you know, it was a no-brainer. And I actually was looking in the stand to see if there was anybody there. Yeah, scouts. Aye. I, I was so afraid that I was going to lose him in that 24 hours. Were you not worried that he was going to sign for Brecon? <laughs> yeah, I was. I did gamble. I probably was a coach then. <laughs> Big Dick might have stolen him. But no, he was... Um, he, he, he just stole it. And they hovered across the ground while everybody were falling in their backside and, uh, you know, mispassing mis and miscontrolling. Russell was supreme and uh, we signed him next day. So that was, we had Frank Sozzi on board, Russell Latape, and we also got Patalainen, who, who were, you know, three players who really transformed the team. And, you know, you, you, you have to get credit to the whole squad, of course. Um, you know, guys like John O'Neill were there, brilliant players. John O'Neill, good player. But when you, you know, when you see that Spurs lost Gareth Bale for, or they didn't lose him, they get, I don't know, 70 or 80 million for him, I can't remember. And then they bring in six or seven players and they go, oh, wow, we brought in a bunch of great players to augment Gareth leaving. Yeah. But then you see those six players don't, Jail right away, they, and four or five of them end up leaving the club after a year or two. That's the difference that one guy, or two guys, or three guys can can make. We had three international players there in that Hibs team. Yeah, by by getting those three players, and we rocked absolutely rocked the league, uh, and and then had a, a, a fantastic, I think, third place in the Premier League the next year. Can you remember any instances where you caught Russell being out maybe when he shouldn't have been? Or did you just have to let him get on with it because that was his character? Oh, no, there was, there was plenty of incidents when he was out, yeah. And um, we, we were in uh, Trinidad and Tobago. We went there, kind of, you know, with the, the I think Rod, Rod maybe saw it as a wee kind of commercial one as well. Yeah, yeah. And Russell was so excited at going back to his homeland and we, we would play a friendly or two and train over there, a winter break kind of thing. Um, and I told the players there was a curfew at a certain, they had to come in at a certain time and, and uh, Russell, he probably wasn't the only one, but he was the one that, that got caught, you know, and he, he broke curfew and... Uh, I said to the next day, Russell, you're getting fined. And, and he, he said, oh, come on, Gaffer, you know, I'm back in my home ground. And uh, he, he showed a bit of lenient saying that. And, and then um, I heard that 
Brian Lara was was one of his best pals. You know, and I like cricket, you know. And yeah. I says, well, if you bring Brian Lara in for lunch, <laughs> you know, I'll let you wear it, you know. <laughs> so he, he brought Brian Lara into the hotel and stuff, and, uh, you know, we the boys all said hello to him and stuff. So it was, he was amongst his own pals. Yeah, and, amazing. Uh, would you have a faggot training and stuff like that, Alex? He's a very likable little guy. Just at yeah. just just uh, just at half time, um, we when he came into the dressing room, we had five five or six, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Somebody at Joe says no chance, no chance. But uh, you, you know, there was there was I'd seen one or two players over the years that, especially foreign players. You know, yeah. Alex, Alex Ferguson said this about Martez that um, when the Sun printed a picture of him standing outside a nightclub having a fag. And Alec Ferguson rounded on the journalists who phoned him and said, look, a lot of the foreign guys smoke a fag now and again. He says, but what they don't do is the British culture drink. They don't drink, you know. He says, he's, he, he doesn't, he's not a bevier. He likes a cigarette now and again. And, and you know, that was the guy for making the you know, the, the difference between Europeans or... Yeah, the British. Players and, and the British culture was uh, guys that take, a, you know, a lot of footballers like a drink. Yeah. And have done over the years. Maybe it's, it's, it's got a wee bit better, but you still see some incidents, don't you? Yeah. The guy that told us about oh, Russell and the smoking was another character who we've had on, John Hughes. What's your memories of John Hughes? Yeah, John, John was just a great character, yeah, a fantastic character and, um, you know, one of the, the pranksters in the dressing room as well, you know, having, he, he would have his cronies and, he, you know. Who were his cronies? Well, we Mickey Weir, all these guys, you know, the, the Edinburgh Mafia. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I think he... I can't remember who, whose, whose trainers it was, whose boots it was, but... He, he nailed him to the floor, <laughs> <laughs> and the player was trying. He went and left his boots, and he nearly wrenched his arm off. You know, <laughs> Yogi had nailed nailed his um, boots to the, to the ground. I think it was Dirk. Um, yeah, it was. It was Dirk. You're right. He told that. Uh, yeah, Dirk Lemon. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, and he he was he was the victim that day. But John was, uh, you know, a big rouser and, uh, you know, the, the the great irony about him, he, he wasn't the, the most beautiful footballer on earth, but he loved his teams to play pure football. Yeah. And, and that was, that's a feature of his managerial career, him and John Collins sit team to team together and and they, they always like to pass the ball. And he asked you as well, because we spoke about recruitment, he also managed to find not just big names, but some hidden gems. Paul Hartley, Didier Agat. How did you how did you spot these guys? Um, well, Paul Paul had been struggling a wee bit, you know, in, in, in his previous. There was kind of big, you know, big uh, fanfare saying you know the, the new Maranello and all that kind of stuff. And um, Paul was was a you know a top top winger. And then uh, you know when when you I think his story kind of 
turns turns out to be a great one when he, he get put back into the holding midfielder role. And that, that, that we famously had him that night in Paris. You know, when James McFadden scored the, the winning goal and Paul played in that, that holding role that, what he, that he did so well for Celtic. So it was an incredible transformation of a player. And, and he probably underachieved a wee bit, you know, in terms of the, the winger role that he, that he was kind of uh, born into. And, and he probably played through his, his boys' club days. And, uh, but it, it seemed that the holding role was made for him. And, and again, it's a, it's a hell of a, a transformation similar to, to Paul Lambert's. That, although Lambert was more of a midfield player, always a midfield player, Paul was seen as more of a winger. Um, who was our one? Didier Regat. Was it Wraith Rovers you got Didier Regat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Didier was, I mean, pure lightning. You've seen the, the speed of this guy was, you know, from uh, even in the short distance, it, it just broke it in material. Um, as soon as he, Didier turned the afterburners on in, in, in the trial, then well, got to have him. And then there was a wee, um, there was a wee fight between, no, there wasn't a fight between Rangers and Celtic, but both, Martin O'Neill and uh, Dick Advocate phoned me about Didier. And I was hoping that, you know, because we're, we're, we're smaller than the old firm, we were looking to try and recoup something out of it, you know, and, uh, but, but his, his contract was coming in, coming up for grabs. And I think, yeah, we, we did get something from Celtic, but it was yes. quite, quite a, a small fee. But uh, yeah, he was, he was, Tremendous in his short stay with us, and, and that's what attracted the old firm to him. And, and he, he did a really good job for Martin when Martin played the three at the back. Talking of rocket material, Kenny Miller, rocket yeah. material for a different way. Um, he came through the youth system. Can you remember seeing him for the first time? Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Um, yeah, I saw Kenny in the very early days and, and I, I thought, you know, he, it wasn't just his, 
his speed, but he had a, a kind of demeanour about him that, that you, you thought this, this guy was going to definitely make it, and this guy had the, the, the you could see in his makeup that he knew he was going to make it as well. Yeah. Nothing was going to stop him. And, you know, when, when bringing Kenny into the team and scored, he, he scored a goal on one of the, I think, don't know if it was the debut game, but he, he scored very early and he scored against Hearts in a, when we, we won at Tynecastle. Frank Sosie, I think, scored that day as well. And, uh, again, we kind of knew that Kenny was going to be a bit of a gold mine for Hibs as well. In terms of if a big club came in from, then we should get a, a really good fee for him. Uh, and of course, when Rangers came in, I was um, and I was abroad in Dubai at the time, and uh, I had a conference call with Rod and the, the board of directors, and they said Rangers have come to two and a half million or something. I can't remember what, what the actual final fee was, but. I said, look, see, see if you can squeeze something else. And then we, I think it was up to, I think it was three million. And the Hibs, you know, we, we all sat together again and said, um, I think we've, we've gone as far as, or they've gone as far as they will go and yeah. we, we might lose it. And we knew that, you know, Kenny was keen to go as well and, so we're holding back a, a, a young. It was we would love to have held on back and get, get more money, but we kind of you know these guys went mugs, the guys on the board, and they knew that that was the kind of figure that, that you were going to get. You were flying at Hibs, Alex. Third in the league, you ended up finishing, and then Rangers come. When were you first approached by Rangers? <coughs> well, David Money said that he'd spoken to Hibs, and. Uh, when he picked the phone up and he said I bet he didn't think he'd get this call and I said well I didn't actually <laughs> I thought you were down the road now where you would just go for foreign coaches and um, you know that was the kind of level that you were looking at and he said no no you know Dick Advocate really likes you really really um, talks a lot of you he said you came to see him when you when he was at PSV Eindhoven. You came and paid a visit, and he asked for his permission to come. And he really liked you, and he's been watching your progress in, in Scotland, and you've done so well with Hibs. Um, and the offers there, if you if you want it, want to take the challenge. And of course, uh, I was never going to say no to that one. Was see when you were doing well at Hibs? Was it always the Rangers' job you had in mind, Alex? I never really. No, I never had. Um, you know, I, I thought actually my career path would be if I did well at Hibs, the next stop would be England. Yeah. Um, and and I thought, well, maybe Championship, work up to Premiership, um, or possibly a Premiership mid table, try and get, no, no put too much pressure on that you've got to try and keep somebody from being relegated and all mm. that. Time. But uh, you, you can't really map out a career path. But that's what, I, that's what I said to David. I, I didn't think you were going to come for any, any you know, the Scottish coaches. I thought you'd either go for a top English coach or maybe, um, you know, a foreign European like um, you, you did with Dick. <clears throat> so 
you know, I, I knew that, um, you know, after a couple of years of working at Rangers, I knew looking back, then maybe they were starting to look at the, the way the financial situation was going on. Yeah. And um, I had to, you know, I, I don't think I was, I got it just because of that, but, but I genuinely think I, I had a good relationship with Dick Advocate and, and having gone to see Dick's training and, uh, you know, listening to him, chat with him for a, for a couple of hours. I'd, I'd signed a player for Motherwell at that time, Michelle Man, uh, Van der Gag, uh, centre-back. Yeah. Back in the day, he was in 12 and he wasn't going to make it with the first team there and he decided that he would come to Motherwell and he played for us for a couple of years. Uh, he went on to be a, a coach. He played in Portugal and was a coach for one of the teams in Portugal. So Mitchell, Mitchell Van, der, Van der Gag it was, not Michelle. Um, and, and Dick had, had always said that, yes, I recommended uh, you to David and, and um, I, I, I said, I can't take any more, I'm going to step down. And, uh, you know, I think he'd had his fill of, uh, you know, Martin O'Neill came in and Celtic started to dominate a wee bit. So Mitchell van der Gag got you the Rangers job, what a man. Uh, it must have been a proud day uh, signing to be the Rangers manager, Alex. It was amazing. Um, where do you go to sign Ibrox? He kind of overawed. He, he, he don't want to appear overawed. But, um, yeah, Ibrox signed there, yeah. Signed at Ibrox. Um, um, how, how did it pan out now? I think I'd gone down with my wife. We drove down to Glasgow. I drove, drove through to Glasgow. I was, I was still 11, was 11 in Edinburgh at the time. <laughs> and and we drove through for the meeting and and then when I was unveiled it, it, I think my fa- some of my family were getting called and said um, is that true we're, we're hearing that Alex joining Rangers tomorrow uh, so it was quite an exciting time and and, and I the, the thing that's uppermost in your mind is am I good enough to do this job you know and it's because it's some task and, and I'm going in amongst world class players that are in that dressing room can I handle them can I get the best out of them um, and that that was that part and that part it was saying yeah of course you can and that was the, the, the positive part that, that won the day and I uh, went in there and I was even questioned by the press saying were you could you say anything about the, the underwhelming welcome you got big man um, they all it was the punters, some of the punters must be saying, oh, how are we not getting Guardiola or something? I know he wasn't around then, but I put a manager of that type. And and then I says, listen, it's up to me to, to make, uh, make the fans, well, prove to the fans that I'm the right man for the job. And then we had a very early victory against Celtic in the semi-finals of the, um, the League Cup when uh, Bert Conteman hit a 30 yarder and that kind of cemented my um, you know, attachment to the Rangers fans and also to Rangers Football Club. Mm. It's, it doesn't do you too much harm when you get a win over the, the old rivals. Yeah. What was the main things that you felt you had to change when you first went in that? Well, what I felt was when I watched Rangers, um, over, yeah, obviously we study them every week because I'm at Hibs and, and I have to look at other teams and keep keep abreast of all, all the action 
every weekend. And, but then I took some videos and watched the games and I thought they played very slowly. You know, I was, although they had fast players and team, it was more quicker at the end to try and, but, but, but that team, by that time teams had organised with men at the back and it was very difficult for, they were trying to walk it in the net basically. Yeah. And I, and I felt that I, I had to, I, I said that to them, I said that's what I felt. And I said, you, you, you could pass it forward quicker. I'm not saying on ball stuff because we've got the quality and the technique to receive the ball in pockets and, you know, between the lines, effectively, we called it pockets and that at that time, you know, now you've got play between the lines, you know. Yeah, well, yeah you, you know, everybody's got to use the jargon nowadays. But we say play between the lines, you know, Ronald, you can come off, you know how to get in space and it's all about exploiting the space but we've got to play quicker and we must get forward quicker we've got to try and get forward quicker and get behind people when they're advancing not so much counter-attack but just playing the, the game quicker and it, and, it, and to be honest that was always a, a trait of Alec Ferguson you know he always wanted us to pass the ball assertively quickly and, and try and you know get it forward round square passes all the time, you know, trying to draw teams out and then find find a, a wee chink in, in the armour and get through that way. But um, no, we, we speeded it up. I kind of empowered the players a wee bit. I got into their faces. I did one-to-ones. I got Ronald DeBoer in my office and um, Amoruso was injured at the time. I phoned him in Italy and I said, Big man, and he says, "Hey, boss!" You know, and that was his first words. And he says, "Congratulations!" And I says, "Yeah, listen, I need you in this team, and you, you need to get fit as quickly as possible." I'm in recovery. I, you know, I should be okay. And, and there was a break. And it was a winter break, and then uh, Amoruso came back after it, and he was a he was a legend. He was brought for me and my staff. You know, I had fantastic staff around me as well, and you know, we we tried to get the family side of the club, you know, by by interacting with, with everybody in the offices and things like that. So, yeah, how was it meeting with Ronald De Boer? Well, what I said to Ronald was, it was actually, when I say a meeting, it was probably a bit informal because at that time I was still doing warm-ups and things like that and I would, I would run ahead of the players and then I would start kind of mingling and I moved back to Ronald and I started to talk about some of the games I'd seen him during his, his Ajax career and, and uh, he looked at me as if oh, this guy's an anorak, you know, and, uh, and then he, one of the staff told me, he said, one, it was actually one of the, the, the um, masseurs, he says, Gaffer, just to tell you, Ronald De Boer was, was um, he couldn't believe it, how much he knew about his career. You know, because I was talking to him about Holland games and all that as well. And again, that they played um, in Greece, I think it was Panathinaikos or something. And they'd lost in, at home in Amsterdam 1-0, but they went over there and played one of the, the greatest games I've ever seen, 3-0 they won. And that was the first time I, I saw the, the, um, the use of the goalkeeper being so prevalent in a football match in, in but Ronald, anyway, he said to, to, to the uh, master that 
I can't believe it. Like Alfred, you know, said so much about my career and, uh, you know, so I think it was Jofpura and, yeah. and we, we, we just, you know, empowered them a wee bit and Arvaladze and I knew that one of the things that foreigners didn't like was you coming in and ranting and raving at half time. Um, and that, again, that was, that is kind of, it's kind of similar nowadays. You know, there's no really big rants anymore. It's, it's more on the analytical side and you've got to say you could do better, you know, you should be doing better in that situation, but there's no in-your-face stuff anymore. And what, about, what about Barry Ferguson talk? How, how good was he? Could he play at the top? Very top? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Alec Ferguson at that time said there was a, a spell when Barry was at Blackburn, Alec Ferguson said he was considering going for him. Did he? Aye, he told me that uh, privately, and um, he, he definitely thought about it. I think I don't know if it was around about the Roy Keane time, or, or you know, around about when Roy left. It, it certainly, he certainly did consider Barry um, when he moved from Rangers to Blackburn. So it must have been kind of in his prime. And but Barry could play in any stadium in the world. And uh, not be phased. He had such a a belief in his, himself. And did you never have a ding dong? Aye, aye, ding dongs. Yeah, all the time. You know, he he, he liked to say the one fud. You know, <laughs> I heard coming, and uh, you know that really got me on the sweary one against him. You know, and uh, then we calmed it down. You know that. It's like Willie Muller or me with Alec Ferguson. Willie Muller, you could count in one hand the amount of times Fergie had a, a face-to-face film and me, maybe five or six, stacking 20. <laughs> <laughs> but, but So like Barry, I would have done. In, in my, my, late, my um, Rangers time with him, there was maybe two or three, but not. Ah, it was a ding dong in, in, in one of them, yeah, definitely when, when it was a big shout match and, and, and he, he would remember those, but very few and far between. Yeah. Uh, the big big win for you early on was the Scottish Cup final one against Celtic. Uh, is that as good a feeling you've had when Love and Can scores that winner? Um, yeah, the 3-2 game, ah, that was an incredible game. Just a great game. Ah, what a game, you know, one of the, one of the best and, and the two, the quality of the two teams on the pitch. You know, Henrik Larson recently said that Celtic would have coped and it would have got in the top four of English football. So imagine Rangers and Celtic, the teams of, of that particular uh, era, that both of them, if he said that with Celtic, then, you know, I've got to say, well, Rangers would have been neck and neck with you in that, in that tussle if you're talking about Celtic getting to the top four. So it was a brilliant game. Um, we, we we played some really good football in the game. Celtic hit us with, um, you know, the set-piece power. John Hartson scoring, I think, the first goal in Bobo Balde. And uh, we, we had uh, Peter scoring that phenomenal winner with nine seconds to go. So I always remember the, the T-shirts, nine seconds and loving it, L-O-V-E-N. Um, and that was Peter's winner. But great cross for Neil McCann. Fergie's free kick was world class. Uh, and 
you know, they, they, they had that capacity, that team had that capacity to, to come back from any setback. Yeah. Uh, start of the treble year, that was the next season. Did you feel confident of winning the league? As you said, Celtic had dominated under Martin O'Neill at that time. Did you, did you, surely you never thought a, a treble was, was possible? No, we, we never really contemplated a treble. We, the most important thing for us was winning the league. Uh, and we knew that it was going to be neck and neck. And I think in the first game of the season, we drew at Kilmarnock and Celtic won. And I remember reading a line, I think it was Sunday Mail, must have been the Sunday Mail, saying the league's finished. That was the first game of the season. Wow. Celtic had won, and we drew with Kilmarnock one each. And it was, uh, the league's over, Celtic have won it. And, and uh, we thought, right, there's obviously a big feeling that the two teams are not going to drop many points. So we were very, very aware of that every single week. And we played on a Saturday, Celtic played on a Sunday, Celtic played on a Saturday, we played on a Sunday. And it was always neck and neck. And uh, people say it will be decided by the how the two teams got on against each other. But in the end, it wasn't. You know, it was, it was um, you know, results elsewhere. And, and you... you Total respect to every team in Scotland. You know, they you can never get an easy game. No, I need to ask you again. Another big name that you've managed, Mikel Arteta. How pivotal was his signing in that year? Yeah, well, Mikel was um, a signing on the table when I got there, and David Murray said to me, "Do you <clears throat> do you know this player, <clears throat> uh, Dick Advocate? Is he's, he's, he's part of the Barcelona? <clears throat> Excuse me." But part of the Barcelona um, youth product, he's at PSG on loan, and Dick has, I think, been told it, it would cost about five or six million, I think. <clears throat> so um, I said, well, listen, we'll go and look at him. You know, I don't want to just throw six million at a player that I don't really know. And Andy Watson went away to see him, playing with Paris Saint-Germain, and he was a holding player with PSG. The, the, the role that he had with, ultimately with Everton and uh, Arsenal. Uh, Andy went and he came back. He says, he's quite lightweight. He, he is a kid after all. I think he must be, I don't know if he was 20 then or 19 yeah. or 20. So he's quite lightweight. But he says, Alec, the difference from their football and our football is, is very marked. It's a marked difference. And he said that they just let them have the ball at the back and they retreat and then they kind of start to press on about halfway line, the French teams. So Mikel was able to get the ball, make the easy pass, make the easy pass. And Andy said, as, as a result, he's never tested by anybody going against him or... or um, and I said, well, he can't play number six anyway because we've we've got number six. We've got the number six, Ferguson. Yeah. You know? So he couldn't play before... In, in that position before Barry, that was a certainty. That's, that's the, and Andy says, technique very good, control of the ball very good, he's got a wee burst of pace. So I decided that it was on the table and I think we were, we had sold somebody left and we got some money to counter it a wee bit and David, I said, do you want to do it, David? I mean, are you, it's a one that, we could keep the money for something else. He says, up to you. It's definitely there. It's, it's Dick, Dick liked him. And I thought, right. And 
because of Andy's assessment, I thought, right, I'm going to take him, but he'll be in the squad and he'll be a, a forward-thinking player, not a defensive-thinking player. So we brought him in and, and then all of a sudden he's, he's mingling with the Boer, he's mingling with Arvaladze, uh, Kanidja, all these, these um, forward-thinking players, very progressive players. And I thought, how can you fail with these guys? We played him in the left, the left midfield coming in and then tracking with the strikers and the other midfielders and wandering even, wandering, but always, you know, as... Um, accentuating that you've got to go back to your, your position when we're against the wall or mm. somebody else can fill in for you and you can you can take his position. So he he took to you know like a, an absolute a professional as if he'd been in the game a long long time. Brilliant in the ball coming in, but the players he was playing with just you know gave him that that kind of platform uh, because the next season was tough for him when De Boer and all these left, Barry Ferguson left for, for Blackburn and then I, w- I was left with, with quite a young midfield. Uh, Big Stevie, remember Big Stevie? Uh, Big Stevie Hughes, Big Stevie was, was a young kid coming through but again, you know, as a youngster, so you, got to, you, you can't, you, they've got to be allowed to make mistakes but at Rangers level, you can't make too many, you know, when you're playing for Raiders or Celtic, when you're, the demands are on you to win every week. Yeah. But we found out a tough season. We played in the Champions League and I had to move or take it back to the central midfield because I was very short of, um, you know, technical players in there. And Stevie Hughes was obviously a decent big player. But, but to pit those two in the Champions League against Man United uh, Old Trafford, was a bridge a bridge too far, and it became tougher for Mikael because he didn't have the De Boers, the Arthur Newmans, yeah. the Fernando Ritsons, the Amarusos, the Craig Moore, the, all these guys that could easily find him with the ball, and and then and the, a lot of the players we had in that Rangers team were enforcers as well. Fergie could tackle. Um, you know the the other players could tackle. Arvaladze could defend. Canadian uh, was was sensational. I just couldn't believe how good a player that guy was. Who smoked more him or Latape? Well, um, I was told. I, I know that um, before the game, you know, Claudio had a, a wee fag in the toilet, you know. <laughs> and, and listen, if he played to the place to that level, you know, who am I to call him? Oh, nice. my face, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, just on the, the treble, obviously he's won the League Cup against Celtic first. Just memories of the final day against Infermont and actually winning the league. Well, again, it was that um, strange situation where the game was on at Rugby Park and, uh, you know, we, we, we were trying to keep ahead of Celtic on the goals. Um, and we, we built up to it the whole week saying we've got to play really fast football. If you score a goal, boys, run into the net, get it and, and recenter it. You know, even those little seconds will, will make the big difference, ultimately. And we, we, kept, we were getting the score from Rugby Park. When I saw the Celtic game again, and they, they beat Kilmarnock 4-0, I think it was. They missed a penalty. They missed umpteen chances. Then 
you know, went for us. We we got enough goals to do it. Arteta's penalty at the end, and we and we, you know, you know, I think Martin said, which which I think all managers say is the team that wins the league deserves it, and you know, we we put Celtic on that occasion, and uh, yeah, we we scored a few goals. We probably should have had more. Stevie Thompson came on, I think, and contributed with a goal. But Stevie could have had three or four. The yeah. he's, trying, he's trying his best to lose it, wasn't he, Stevie Thompson? <laughs> Celtic um, at Rugby Park missed about three or four chances that they must have been kicking themselves about. You know, you, you never know what the scores could have been had every, everybody and each team scored. It could have been 8-3 or something for us. And, and uh, come on, I think, did they miss a penalty? I, I can't remember. But um, Celtic gave them a drop in. We gave them Fairman a drop in. But we, we ended up winning on the goal difference. What a feeling to win the League of Rangers as manager. Oh, well, that was, um, that was just a sensational moment in my life. Um, growing up as, as, a, as, as a young player, a young school player, my dad was Rangers, my mother's side was Celtic. Um, but, you know, there wasn't a bigoted bone in anybody in our family. And we... We um, respected. My dad always said that, and as a young boy, see Celtic beat Rangers. Don't get angry about it, right? Ever, but you know, obviously, some of the pals you grow up on either sides. Then yeah. you know, they, I, I kept wondering about the ferociousness of these guys. You know, and I just, I just couldn't understand it. But um, you, you know, when you get to that level, and you actually see and and the both camps, then it's. It's pretty sensational. Anybody that goes to that derby, they always come out of it saying, I've never seen anything like it. I need to ask you, Alec. Yeah. Won, that's two trophies won. Did you realise at the time how much the boys had been out drinking that week before the cup final? No. When did you, when did you find out? Was it after the game or was it before the game? Um, no, I never found out anything before the game. You know, I, you, I felt that probably they'd have, you know, the, the first couple of days, you know, the, the day after, and then um, we get back to work again. And they trained all week. I never must have been too naive, you know. And yeah. <laughs> not realising that, well, if that was the case, is that in somebody's book? No, I think, I think a few boys that have came on here says that they, that they took it a wee bit too far that week. Aye, yeah. Well, thank goodness they... they never, you never found it? Well, thank goodness they won the final game and because, you know, it wasn't an easy game against Dundee. Dundee, wasn't it? Dundee, yeah, Jim Duffy, I think, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, we, if anything, we huffed and puffed. It was probably a bit like um, when I go back to the day, the day of the European Cup Winners' Cup final, we won that and then we played maybe a few days. Wasn't it, wasn't it the immediate weekend? I think it was the weekend after. We played um, Rangers in that, in that famous Alec Ferguson rant on the pitch. You know, when he says that was a terrible result, a terrible um, performance. And, and then he, when he, he realised they must have been really tired, but... But I can assure you, we weren't out in the pitch all week. Uh, <laughs> we, we weren't uh, having drinks. We maybe did for a couple of days, but, but luckily enough, the cup final was the next week. Right. 
But that the Rangers treble winning day was was then, and then the week after was Dundee. So they got through it anyway, and um, they, it could be a more sensational story if we'd lost it. <laughs> uh, just you said the league was was sensational, one of the best feelings. What, what, what did that feel like when you knew you'd won the treble as, as the Rangers manager? We standing there doing a treble. My dad passed and died in '82. It would have been uh, incredible for him to see me, me lifting those trophies. But my mother was was still here, and uh, my family, and I just felt so privileged to have been able to do something like that in my life with. Along with my great staff, Andy Watson, the Andouters, Ian McGuinness, the Doc, and, and then all my masseurs, you know, and Davey, you know, the whole, the whole staff and, and the administration staff at Ibrox. We had, we had a brilliant family, and I think when everybody comes together, then you've got a good chance. Yeah. Uh, that summer, big challenge you face the Water Club captain, Barry Ferguson, number six, as you call him. Did he come to you and tell you that he wanted to leave? I think um, it might have been between Sunis and and uh, Sir David. But it says, "What are you going for?" You know, we need guys like yourself. And whether he saw that there was a wee going to be a wee decline, and there might have been more pressure on on him, and seeing that Blackburn were maybe amassing a team or whatever, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know. But David and um, Sunis had Graham Sunis was manager then, wasn't he? Yeah, Sunis took him, yeah. Yeah. And that was really a deal that I, I couldn't interfere in. Yeah. Were you devastated to lose him? I, I think it was a time when when um, Rangers were, you know, having to look at the finances. That was, that yeah. was kind of, I, I could see that was the, the real start of it. That was really yeah, just, we'll move to Helicopter Sunday. How crucial was the re-signing of getting Barry Ferguson back the following season, 2004-2005? Was it you that, did you phone Barry and say, I want you back? Yeah, yeah, we, we got what when he wanted to come back. And you know, so right away, you know, on the blower and, um, you know, we said it's great and we think we can do it and, they said, oh, we get, I just want to get back there. You know what Barry's like? I want to get back to Rangers, Gaffer. And, and uh, we we did some good signs in that January, but we'd also did some tremendous work on, in the previous summer to get uh, Dado Precio and uh, Jean-Alain Boomsong. And, and that was brilliant preparation because the year before, after we won the treble, we, we brought in too many players three weeks before pre-season started again and there was a lot of players that were towards the end of their careers great players but it just didn't work for us Yeah. and we had a bad season David kind of recognised it Sir David and he said um, you know you, you didn't get a great uh, hand of cards last season and he says we'll, we'll go again and you know we'll try and prepare better and to get those two players in at the beginning was um, fantastic for us and we you know again the, the season the to and fro between us and Celtic before Helicopter Sunday was just a, a marvellous fight again a marvellous battle yeah uh, Fernando Rickson was a club captain 
and then Barry came back, you decided to stay with Fernando. Was yeah. that an easy decision or a hard decision? No, it was, um, but, you know, I, I, was, I was honest up front with Barry and I, and I said to him, look, you know, I'm just going to keep it as it is. You know, Fernando deserves this recognition. He's calmed, it's helped him to calm down, Barry. You know, he, he, he's no, no chance of him getting sent off anymore. He's, he's more of a um, Kofi Annan, you know, a peacekeeper. <laughs> uh, you know, it was amazing to see Rickson running to a referee and, and trying to hold players back, saying, no, don't, don't be stupid, you know. And they're all looking at him going, what, what are you telling me that? <laughs> Fernando would have been right in amongst that. Um, getting getting red cards and stuff, but he he became uh, you know very very cool and, and commanding and, and and in control of his emotions, quite, you know, and, which um, was unusual. But Bergie came in, knuckled down, got right back into his his um, confident persona, and then to to go and do what we did at the end was amazing. What uh, have you got a favourite memory, of Fernando Rickson, Alex? Too many, too, too many to mention. You know, when 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 he, the doc the doc told me that he pushed one of the directors into the swimming pool when we were <laughs> over in Greece, <laughs> uh, just for a prank and a laugh. When when the the uh, director had his phone in his pocket and he's in mm-hmm. the so, checkbook. No recommended, Fernando. So <laughs> I need to uh, worry about that one. And uh, you know, to be fair, and the director he said, uh, "Nah, just, you know, just leave it. We'll put it under the, the carpet." We said, "Fernando, apologise." Uh, but you know, there was there was um, great stories, but Fernando as well. You know, he's, he was a, he was a great little character. Uh, you were beaten by Celtic at Ibrox four games to go, five points adrift. Was there ever a feeling that the league was lost? Yeah, well, you know when you when you think Celtic are five points in front, and just beating you in your, your own ground, then you know that is a bitter blow. And we, but we we could only keep going, we could only keep going, and then we we got a a breakthrough when we were going up to Aberdeen, and Celtic lost at home to Hibs. Remember that game? Yeah. You remember the result. Celtic lost at home to Hibs and we went to Aberdeen to play on the Sunday so the, the players were all listening and, and the like, ghouls on the radio and I, I hated listening to you know, games on the radio if it was a game that could affect us and I thought why you guys are being ghouls listening to that if Celtic beat Hibs which they should then um, you know we'll, we'll all be sitting in this bus feeling ridiculously low and no ready for the Aberdeen game but no, they, um, they listened to it and then I said, turn it down. And so they were doing the earphones and, and then I heard the cheers, you know, and and Celtic had lost that home game, which gave us a chance to uh, shorten the gap. And we, and we went to Aberdeen and Julie won. How big uh, for keeping morale up when you think you're low is Marvin Andrews? Was he shouting it? Is he telling you that God was going to save it? Was, was it believe he kept saying? <laughs> Believe, believe was his favourite word, you know, and uh, you know, he, kept, he just walked through the dressing room with a fist, you know, believe, and 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 uh, you know, we we all laughed at it, you know, but we he, he's right, you know, he was right in in terms of the 
the the word itself was believing. I mean, it was it was it was in Celtic's hands. So really, what we had to do and what we did emphasise was listen. You've just got to keep winning your games because if if Celtic slip up, then you'll be tossing and turning for the rest of your life in your bed thinking if only if only we had won those games so we we um, did really well in in sense of getting those victories and that was what kept us in the, in the in the game you know Celtic were, were hot favorites and we took it to that last day again the wire which um, was is one of the most spine-tingling days I've ever had. What was that? Was that your favourite day in management? Would you say it was? It was the biggest spine-tingler. Um, you know, winning the treble was was uh, you know something that I could only have dreamed about. The way we won this one was was um, phenomenal. And when when we at half time, Barry even Barry was a bit low in, in the Hibs game. We were now now Celtic were a goal up. At uh, Fir Park, and that and that was it. The league was over, but it was only half time. And I said, "Good, I said Barry, come on, you got to help me to rally these boys. You know, they can't all go out with their, their shoulders hunched and uh, their heads down. You've got to go out in that second half, sprint out that tunnel. You're going to win this game. And if even if Celtic don't drop the the points that we need them to, then." You you can say that you 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 fought right to the end with honour and you 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 won the, the game. If they do drop points and you don't win it, I'm telling you you won't be able to live with yourself. Yeah. And I'd had those experiences, you know, I had a, a lot of the guys in the team, but uh so well Fergie's you know, he's all of a sudden he's aroused and he's he's in Kiramor and he, come on boys, you've got to win the game, win the game, get that goal. Um, and, and then we, we Nacho made the breakthrough um, before was it before we made the pass and, and Nacho hit the, the all important goal and then fast forward you know a few minutes or I don't know how many minutes later Hibs were, were sitting in because they knew if, if they lost the second goal to us they, they would have lost it in goal difference to yeah, European yeah. So it was a strange one, and, and I, I was a bit worried with um, about Marvin and Kiriakos keeping the ball at the back, you know. <laughs> it was not the prettiest sight watching yeah. you know, pass the ball square, and uh, something's going to happen, you know, there's something for the, the worst that's going to happen. And then Marvin goes and does an amazing up the front, and I said, What are you doing, Marvin? What are you doing? Get back there. And believe it when I say it. <laughs> Just one of your words. And, and then, so, yeah, hey, boss, you know, they opened up and I said, yeah, just stay yeah. back. So says, everybody else is going forward. We've got wingers, we've got um, fullbacks going forward and you know, we need to keep that solid centre base. Um, and then the, the, the big roar went up. Is that when you knew when the roar went up or somebody, was somebody telling you on the side? No, the roar went up and, 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 I, and nobody said anything to the side. I never heard anything to the side and that's what made it so special because just a, a, a phenomenal roar and I knew Motherwell had scored. 
But the shivers that went down my back was not, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And, you know, that was a thrill in like, in five, you know, five second bursts of, of roar, roaring Rangers fans. For me, I've never made a louder noise in their, in their whole careers <laughs> as fans. Yeah. And, and so I knew it was one each. And, you know, um, they, they got, you know, uh, there was a got wee, wee guy joined Celtic, wasn't it? Scott uh, McDonald. Scott, yeah. Scott got, ended up getting the two goals. and But that goal was was the one they, that gave me that sensation. When the second roar went up, then I knew we'd done it. And, and it wasn't so sensational as the first, the first, yeah. or the first feeling, but that was the one where I knew we've done it. Never as good the second time. Uh, did you celebrate with the boys after it? Um, yeah, I think I, I, I did a piece for the Dubai Rangers club last week, and um, I did have a couple of friends that came back and celebrated, stayed, stayed in the house overnight, and. And he he actually runs well. He's on he's on the committee of Dubai Loyal, one of my pals who came back that night. We celebrated. Uh, yeah, we you no know, what, what happened. We went back, and and I think there was an impromptu party. You know, I don't think it was there was nothing organised per se, but we we made our own party. Yeah, last week on Rangers, Alex, uh, the next season you became the first Scottish team to qualify for the last 16 of Champions League. Again, another massive achievement that you, that you, that you had at Rangers. It, well, that, that, was a, that was a good achievement for a different reason in that we, we um, really struggled in, in the league that season. We had a lot of injuries. Big Dado was out for a while and um, we, we struggled. Hearts won the first 10 games in a row. I mean, they, they went on fire. They were Really good. It, yeah. The first team we beat them, I think, was was Celtic. Yeah, and we lost at Tencastle one 0 and and uh, we just struggled. And because, as I said to you, Rangers Celtic fans expect their teams to win every week. I didn't try and play counter attack on anybody in the Scottish League. I tried to win all the games, and we just didn't have that that quality at the time. We were playing a lot of younger lads. It was different um, young players coming through. But when it went to the Champions League, I knew I wasn't under so much pressure. So I played it more tactical. I played it more uh, like counter-attack that way or, you know, if you like, part the bus sometimes. And and then, you know, let's hope we've got a wee bit of quality to get uh, through this group stage. And we played some good games into Milan in a closed-door game. That was uh, a bit like the modern-day football, COVID-19. Mm. Um, no, no fans in the ground. And we, except there was some fans from the Rangers directors, and uh, you know, they made a hell of a noise behind me. Big mm. Andy Smiley and all these guys. And then um, we, we, we got into it at home, and, of course, Peter Lovecraft's Gone through on a Thomas Buffel pass, going equaliser was the one that I think cemented us for the last 16. Uh, but we we um, went to Porto and young Ross McCormick gets the equaliser. 
and it was a that was a you know a sensational result to go to Porto and keep them at bay for ninety minutes and and to to get that one each draw over there was was the one that was the nail in their coffin. Yeah. Uh, despite that difficult season, as you say, finishing third in the league, did you feel it was just the right time to leave Rangers? Did you achieve everything you could? Yeah, I, I said to David um, when we qualified for the last sixteen that I, I, I would go there and then. Did you? Yeah, yeah. And he said he he obviously had to think about it, and he come back. And he says, "No," he said, um, "I can think of no one else to lead that team out against Villarreal other than you." Um, he says, "I want you to stay at the end of the season," and and uh, I knew the the process was was um, a new manager, and and it's a, it's quite a strange thing for for Scottish football. The, normally, you'd see that in European football that managers are are earmarked like nine months ahead or six months ahead. You know, you know, the, a German team, Bayern Munich, will know, for instance, that. Guardiola's coming in in six months after this manager's tenure finishes at the end of And so David and I had that agreement and uh, Martin Bain was was um, chief exec and, you know, we were all pretty close. And uh, I agreed that I would leave at the end of the season. My shelf life was up and it's on to something else. Right. Uh, just last few bit on Scotland, Alec. Um, was managing the national team always something that you quite fancied? When when they, they came for me the first time, I, I kind of thought that it was too young for me, too early. But when when I got asked the question, that was a different matter. I just couldn't say no. And um, you know, apart from my my kind of thinking that no, nah, I'm, I'm too young. And then when they they actually made the phone call, I thought, "Me, oh, Scotland manager, oh, that's incredible." <laughs> yes, of course. You know, so you did straight away, did you? Yeah, I did. I, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't say no. It's just when you, you probably you don't think you're going to get the call, and that's why I was maybe a little bit uh, calm in terms of saying, "Nah, it's too early for me." And then when they did come, then I, I said, oh, "Yeah, absolutely, no problem." Yeah. A lot of the players that we've had on had said that they loved going away in Scotland back then, and it was like a club atmosphere. Was that something that you wanted to create? Yeah, that was very um, uppermost in my thinking, and we we tried to keep it like that. Uh, we had a good run, really good run. It's uh, just you know disappointing uh, game after after we beaten Ukraine that we went to Georgia and lost, and um, you know again many managers have probably done it Pep Guardiola will probably be looking at the last Champions League when he, he didn't play Mares and two of the other technical geniuses and and they were put out the, the, the European Champions League by was it Leon yeah um, so I can go back to the, the and, I, and I kept faith with the guys that played against um, Ukraine and instead of maybe changing a few legs a wee bit you know but we, but we did lose um, unpredictable goals, you know, to, for us to lose at a set piece when, when we had the, the height and strength in there and, and it, was, it wasn't like us. So, but maybe there was a little bit of, um, you know, the guys being a wee bit tired um, because they were doing it again. And these, these are the, you know, these are the ones you go back and say, oh, if I'd 
chance of doing that again, I'd maybe I'd change the team. Yeah. But anyway, it was it was done, and we knew we had to beat Italy at Hamden to qualify. Not not draw, obviously not lose, but to win the game, we would have qualified, and we were one. Never a foul either. It's never a foul on Panucci, is it? Never a foul. It was something foul, Gallant Hutton. Yeah. Um, and Panucci scored. Was it Panucci? The foul was on as well. He got the winner. He scored the winner. Oh, yeah. But. You know, we played a great game that day, and Barry Ferguson was tremendous. And when you compared him and Pirlo that day, Pirlo was playing. And I, I was looking at Pirlo and I think, oh, this guy must be near the end of his career. But he was <laughs> only blooming starting it. Because right. he'd known for about another 10 years. And I thought, you know, Barry really piled right them in the midfield. Um, and, and I thought, Barry's put that guy in the shade. But the Italians, you know, they're so dangerous. They, they still get that final goal and even one each wouldn't have been enough. Mm. You've talked about spine tingling. I need to ask you that night, Pat the Prince, James McFadden's goal goes in. There must have been a few few tingles that night. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was amazing as well. We Again, Paul Hartley played that night and and he played in, in front of the back four. I think it was, was Bruni, Scott Bruni maybe even playing. And um, we we had uh, Faddy up front on his own and we knew there was two, they, they were playing a 4-4-2 rather than a holding player. Uh, they normally had Makaleli in a holding role, but they played Makaleli and um, Big Arsenal centre midfield. Yeah. Yeah, those two in, in a straight four. So we were able to put Darren Fletcher and um, who's our other midfielder? Barry. Barry playing that night, yeah. Can't, I can't remember, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we must have, uh, must have said to them, you, you two can actually play against them because Michael, there's no sitter and James could pick up the pockets between them. And so, so we were able to kind of go and high on them a wee bit and stop them playing. If they'd have played a 4 3 3, it might have been more difficult for us. Uh, but Hartley in the defence were supreme, you know, they, they were fantastic. And then, of course, when James picked up that shot from 30 yards, then you know, thinking, Are you teaming up for hitting that, Alex? Are you going mad at him for shooting for that? No, I was. I would never go mad at him. He'd done because anything he, he did, you, you know, you, you just let him do it because James um, was could do the unorthodox and to pick the ball up there and I know I never said uh, no don't shoot you know but um, when, whenever a player takes a chance to shoot from that distance then you know invariably it, it goes past the post it's an easy save for the goalkeeper but it was great accuracy in it by James and um, if you think about his particular campaign only he could have done that yeah would that have been your favourite memory as your first stint as Scotland manager yeah, 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 and that, that that of course is is one is one that sticks out. The Ukraine game was was fantastic at Hamden, right enough, you know, when we yeah. beat Ukraine three one. Um, they they had they had uh, a lot of really good top players playing for them, and you know the way we dominated that game was just a, a real professional job. Uh, return for a second stint. How do you look back on how things panned out? Um, 
yeah, it was, it, it was more of an experimental year for me, you know, and I tried to, to experiment with as many players as I could. Uh, and watching Gordon's campaign, he was very close. And the, a lot, I knew a lot of the players that, that were playing up front for him, starting to get injured, you know, and, uh, and I wouldn't have them in the early games. And so I tried new players, and I think I was entitled to do that. And you, you, you just want a bit more understanding. You know, there was we lost to Costa Rica, and Ole McBurney had three or four chances. He could have cemented his career, like uh, Lyndon Dykes has done, scored very early in his cap, being capped for Scotland. Ole, Ole could have got away to a flyer, and he did, he did, he did have some chances, and we spoke about it afterwards. We analysed it, and uh, he agreed. And, uh, and he still not scored that elusive goal. And, uh, and we, so in the, the striker department, we we have toiled a wee bit. And then the centre-halves, I looked at centre-halves. I know that we, but Christoph Berra was still about, but you know, I phoned a couple of them and said, look, guys, I'm going to have a look at some other players. You don't have to come in this um, South American tour when we play against uh, Mexico and Peru. Uh, I want to look at as many options as I can. A lot of names the press had uh, flagged up as well. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, if, if, if I don't get results, <laughs> it's my fault anyway. But um, they've been recommended. And I'd seen a lot of the players in action. And we, we, you know, we tried to play as many as we could to see if we could get um, a group that would stick out and also... Uh, you, you know, be a nucleus of picks for the the foreseeable future, and then uh, you know we we started the competition games. Um, we we played that little mini group against Albania, and yeah, yeah I know I end up with a sixty six percent record in in competitive games, but everybody loves loves a statistic, but. The, the, the games that, that you looked at are the ones that uh, you lose in. And, and Kazakhstan was a wee bit of a nightmare for us. But, um, you know, we we obviously, if you look at the team that was, the, the teams that played in the December, the November before when we qualified for the Nations League, um, there was six changes. So it was difficult to get the consistency. And, uh, you know, Steve, Steve Clark's a great coach and he's, he's done well in the recent games and and let's hope we can continue the momentum. Big Dykes has started pretty well when, you know, and maybe Olamie Burnley can give him some competition. Think you should have been given longer though, Alex? Um, to be fair, I, I wasn't the most comf- comfortable I've ever been in, in a job, you know, I, because I, I, there was a frustration uh, there was a frustration over the, the whole year and a half with um, you know, losing players through injury. We, you have to get all this um, fitness for duty kind of pre-phone calls and you, we got all these armour flags, um, you know, flagged up and saying, look, he's got we do. This guy needs an injection. That one needs this. He needs this. And, uh, you, you know, you know, to try and get that consistency of selection was um, very difficult. Uh, last question. You looking to get back in it? I think you can still do it. <laughs> well, it's a game of hard knocks, you know, and, and, and you look over 
look over a period of 15 or odd years, then there's been a lot of firefighting there. You know, there's, you know, there's Aston Villa coming and reduced the wage bill by a considerable amount, but keep us in the Premier League. Uh, right, okay. Um, you know, Birmingham uh, was you know, very similar. We, we won their club that would spend a lot of money. So we're trying to get a, a team that you could you could uh, build for the future. Difficult. We we had a great wee team the, the year we finished ninth in the Premier League. Barry Ferguson um, was part of that one. I was able to build that the year before. I think preparation is the big thing. And as as we proved that year at Rangers when we, we got a uh, big uh, pre-show in advance and boom song in advance. We, we had them in the January before the season started, whereas the previous season, we, we were buying players two weeks before pre-season was beginning. Uh, and that is a big factor. But no, so, so as you can ask me if I'm coming back in, if um, maybe... Man City said, uh, Alec, listen, Pep's going to take a wee break. We'd like to come in and we'll give you millions of pounds to spend and buy the best players in the world. I would maybe take that. Gerard Hurley once said to me, I visited him in Leon and he, he, he'd won the title three times and he'd some team. And I said, do you still get nervous in the dugout um, or the technical area, Gerard? He says, oh, yes, of course. He says, but... Um, it's less of a problem when you have the players on that pitch you can trust. So um, I've had a few good teams. I've had a lot of success. And I thank my, all, all these players that have helped me do that and all my staff. Um, if I could get a wee number and backstage to help a young manager, you know, a sport director, yeah. um, I think I could do that job standing in my head. Brilliant. Alex, what a hero. Thanks very much. That's a pleasure, buddy. Top man, I appreciate it. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.